You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. When prices are soaring, it's more important than ever to check in with your investments and make sure your money is working for you. Discuss strategies for tackling all of life's rising costs with a complimentary wealth checkup. Schedule yours today at planefe.com slash hermoney or by calling 833-304-PLAN. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining us today on a special mailbag edition of the Her Money Podcast. We have heard from a lot of you lately who are wrestling with some big and small questions around relationships and money, specifically questions around fairness, competing priorities, how to share your money in a way that works for both you and your partner. We wanted to dive in and tackle some of them today because this is such an important topic. According to the American Psychological Association's most recent Stress in America report, 66% of adults say that money is a significant source of stress in their lives. And within that group, 55% say that money is a source of fights or tension in their family. And even if those money fights aren't something that you find yourself battling often, research from the American Institute of CPAs shows seven in 10 couples have had some sort of financial disagreement with their partner just in the last year. In other words, Money can all too easily be that thing that keeps us awake at night with worry, but it can also be a source of empowerment and joy. Today, we're going to focus on how we can have far less of the former, that is stress or worry, and far more of the latter, empowerment and joy in our lives. And we're doing it all with Natalie Taylor. Natalie is a certified financial planner and a behavioral financial advisor. She is also the head of financial advice at Monarch Money, which is a platform that makes it easy to track your accounts, optimize your spending, analyze your investments, and share finances with your partner. Natalie is on a mission to help people align their finances with what really matters to them so that they can not only make progress, but find confidence and balance and peace along the way. Hey, Natalie, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jean. Thanks so much for having me. Before we dive in, I'd love to hear about some of the most common relationships and money problems that you've encountered in your work. I know that you see couples on a regular basis. I'm most interested in what those problems are and how couples have successfully worked through them. Mm, That's such a good question. I would say probably the top two things I see. One is that opposites really do attract. And so I see a lot of times that there are two people who have either different upbringings with money or one is more naturally a saver and one is more naturally a spender. One is more naturally a communicator and one is more quiet. And so figuring out ways to balance those differences 
In my work with clients, we talk a lot about how those differences can be your superpower as a couple, right? Because if you have a saver and a spender, two savers together are going to have trouble having any fun at all. Um, They're going to feel guilty spending money, and they'll probably end up saving a lot for retirement, but they'll really panic when it comes time to spend it. Whereas two spenders together are more likely to accumulate debt and have a fantastic time along the way, um, but will have trouble sometimes to put money away for the future. So even though sometimes it can cause short-term tension to be different than your partner in some of these financial dynamics, it actually can really be your superpower if you make the decision together to harness it. So I would say that's one thing is that opposites track sort of thing, or counterbalancing if you're indeed the same. And the second one is communication. So couples who communicate well need to use those skills for communicating about finances as well. Sometimes you'll have a a dichotomy where you communicate everything about everything else, but finances is like a taboo topic in your relationship. And so I think that it's really important to develop the language that you need to be able to communicate with your partner. And I think a key part of that, you know, I'll often say, look back as a detective and not as a sheriff, right? Like we're trying to understand our partner and understand ourselves at a deeper level and not try to prove that we're right and they're wrong. And I think just taking a kind of a a learning presence when you have those financial conversations. My husband is wired very differently than me and has very different life experience financially than I do. And I think once we came to recognize what those differences were, what money represented for me versus what it represented for him, that really was the unlock for us to be able to like harness our differences and be able to move forward well. I love look back as a detective and not as a sheriff. I'm going to write that down and remember it because I think it's helpful for a lot of things, not just money. When you look at these differences, particularly the differences in communication style, do you find that women tend to fall into a particular role? Are there gender differences that you see over and over again? Mm, That's a great question. I do see women falling into a couple of roles with finances more commonly. I would say women who are maybe Gen X or boomers, they are more likely to defer to their husbands financially and let them make the big decisions. And maybe the female in the relationship handles all of the details, like all of the budget and the day-to-day and the bill paying, but the big decisions or investing decisions are left to their male partner. That's a little less common in millennial couples, but I do find that to be a relatively common kind of role play that happens. A little less so in millennial couples, so those who are 40-ish and under, women are more likely to step into the role of taking charge of the investments or the long-term strategy and planning. But there is still the dynamic that women in finances often don't step as boldly into areas that they may not fully understand as men, right? (laughs) Men sometimes have more confidence than they should, and women sometimes have less confidence than they should, than they deserve. Um, And I think I still, you know, across the generations, see that play out. Um, And I'm sure you do in your work as well. Yeah, although I do love that you're seeing less of this in millennials and hopefully even less in Gen Y and Gen Z, right? That hopefully we're really starting to turn the corner on this because it's progress that we're focused on making every single day. We've got questions from our listeners. Thank you so much for offering to field them for us. If it's okay, I'm just going to dive in. Awesome. Let me have it. 
Our first question today comes from Kelly, and she writes, My partner and I are engaged, and we recently bought our first home together. We split everything 50-50 and have created a system for settling when one earns more than the other. For splitting expenses, we started with monthly Venmo settles and have evolved into having a joint credit card as well as a joint checking and savings account. The question my partner has been asking for months is why not merge completely? We'll save time on accounting. We have similar values. We're aware of each other's individual goals. We're over communicators. No feeling is left unsaid, truly. Even still, my answer has always been autonomy. His response, you control the shots, we'll merge, and you manage. Would you recommend trying this approach or still keeping some accounts separate? Oh, that's a juicy one. It is a juicy one. Well, first, I have to say I hear so many good things in that question, that they are over-communicators, that there's no feeling left unsaid, that they have similar values, that they've worked out a system that works for them, that they have a way to manage if income is unequal. There's so many good things that it sounds like are in place. So that's the first thing that I hear. And I love that they have a system for when one makes more. They may or may not be using percentage, but percentage can work really well there. So if one partner makes more than the other partner, then the partner that's earning more contributes a larger percentage to joint expenses than the partner who is earning less. That can be a really fair way to contribute different amounts to joint expenses and joint goals that still feels fair for both partners. That's how my husband and I do it, for the record. Perfect. I love that. So the question of why not merge completely, that's such a good question. And I love that Kelly knows that her answer is autonomy. I would say the answer lies in why autonomy matters to her. And here's what I mean by that. It's perfectly okay that autonomy is important to Kelly. I think it's important to figure out whether it's because autonomy is a core value for Kelly or if perhaps it comes from somewhere else. So I think asking herself the question, why does autonomy matter to me? What about it is important? And how do I best honor those things in my financial life? So for my clients, when I see them value autonomy, a lot of times, if that's a core value of theirs, it comes out in ways like always earning income, making sure that they're always bringing in some income, or um, making sure that they have a healthy emergency fund and savings at their disposal if they need it. Another one is having margin in their budget, so making sure that their income is less than their expenses so that they feel that flexibility and that autonomy to make the decisions in the moment that they want to. But it could be that that feeling of autonomy comes from somewhere else, that maybe it isn't a core value, but it comes from maybe Kelly's money history or some money scripts. Maybe she had a fearful woman who had been taken advantage of, maybe a mom or a grandma who had been divorced and always said, you always have to have your own money in the cookie jar. That may or may not be something that serves Kelly moving forward. And so I think Asking the question of, like, where does this thing come from? I think the answer will be unlocked in there for Kelly. I've always felt that if you feel like you should have your own money, you should have your own money. I mean, personally, we keep yours, mine, and ours accounts. And for me, it's actually a matter of knowing that sometimes I spend a ridiculous amount of money on something that is important to me that my husband would think was truly ridiculous. And 
I don't want to be questioned about it. I don't want to talk about it. I, you know, I feel like I work really hard and it's my money and I want to do what I want and I don't want to have to answer to somebody else. Is that valid? It's very valid. And there's no one right answer in terms of whether you join all accounts or keep everything separate or do some combination or hybrid of both. It depends on what works for you and who you are and what works for your partner and who they are. And I've seen it work really beautifully in all three of those ways, right? Joining every account, keeping everything separate but still being on the same page, or having some sort of hybrid like you and your husband do of having, you know, his, hers, and ours. There isn't a magical perfect answer here. Let's go to the next one. This is from Anne. She says, my partner loves to talk about the future, future home renovations, future vacations, future products and services we should use. As much as I love to fantasize and dream too, many of these conversations stress me out. Sometimes my mind translates everything he's saying into costs. How can I engage with him because I know he loves it, but also root us in reality? Oh, and this question hits so close to home. <laughs> I have a husband who's a dreamer as well, and it <laughs> stresses me out. We've been together over 20 years. So I happen to be able to personally relate to this one. But what I would say in terms of like how to handle this, a couple things. One is that there's a difference between talk and action. And oftentimes, dreamers want to dream, and it's okay for them to dream and they're not really trying to put those plans into motion. It's just that that's how they explore and process and ideate. And they aren't actually intending to move forward with much of it. That's just how they explore ideas. And so I think it's important to determine is that's what's happening or is your partner actually looking to go and action all of this stuff, in which case you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we action this? So I think knowing the difference is really important. My husband years ago would say, oh, I want to buy this rundown property. And, you know, and I was like, that is the money pit movie. Um, <laughs> I, I don't understand how you would even, but he was just talking, right? It was just talk. And so I had to figure out, I had to learn to discern what's happening here. Is he just dreaming and kind of chatting it up? Or is this actually a plan? Because I'm a planner. I'm an executor and he's an ideator. And so I think knowing when, you know, learning to discern which of those is happening is really important. And then I think letting him know how you feel that, gosh, when I hear you talk about those dreams, I, as an executor, as somebody who wants to accomplish and get things done and figure out, okay, where do we start and what's the plan? I sometimes feel overwhelmed or stressed out because, I don't know how to make that a reality for you or for us. And I think just saying that out loud can be really helpful because then he might let you know, oh, well, I'm just chatting it up. You know, I, I don't really think we're actually going to go buy a cabin. And then I think the other thing, the really tangible thing that can help is for you both to have a really clear sense of where you stand financially so that the numbers can at least to some extent speak for themselves. Um, because that'll be the difference between we make great money. We can do stuff like this, right? We can buy a cabin versus, oh, well, I see that we only have $1,000 a month left at the end of every month, and that's clearly not enough to buy a cabin. So I can dream about the cabin, but I can see the numbers. I know this isn't a, a possibility right now. So that you're not the bubble popper or the dream crusher, but that you and your partner both have equal access to the information to be able to see where you stand so that he can come to those conclusions without you having to say them. I think that could be really helpful. 
Yeah, there's a lot in that answer that you just gave. I've had the conversation with my husband at times where he's laying out a problem, right? And he's just telling me about a problem. And I, like you, I, I'm an executor, I think. I start going into all the steps that we could take to fix the problem. And he'll come back and he'll say to me, I'm not asking you to fix this problem. I'm just telling you about this problem. You know, I'm looking maybe for a little sympathy about this problem, but this is not, I'm not putting this on your plate. This is not for you to solve. We're just talking. And I think that is sometimes hard for people who like to fix the world to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think once you have that clarity, then you get to enjoy the dream with them, right? Because now that I don't feel the pressure that I've got to execute on this for Ryan because he wants to go do a thing, then I can be like, yeah, that thing would be awesome. And what if this too? Um, And then I can like, you know, wholeheartedly sort of be free to dream with him without worrying and without that like stress hitting me. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple more, but before we get to them, we are going to take a very quick break. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. With the cost of everything on the rise, including healthcare, housing, college educations, and so much more, it's time to check in with your investments and make sure your money is working just as hard as you do. Because the best way to help make sure your money's there for you in retirement and whenever you need it most is to have a strategy for tackling all of life's rising costs. Visit planefe.com hermoney to schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today. And we are back with Natalie Taylor, Head of Financial Advice at Monarch Money. We're talking about all things couples and money. This one comes from Connor. He says, Gene, I fell in love with someone who thinks investing in real estate is better than saving and investing for retirement. Help. How do I build my case for both here? I'm the only one consistently saving for retirement, but we're building our lives together. Oh, Connor, the great stocks versus real estate debate. From my perspective as a financial planner, there's value in investing in both. So I think you're wise to be thinking about how can we as a team invest in both places, right? Because that allows you to diversify your portfolio and your holdings. And real estate is a means towards working towards retirement, and so are stocks. So I think understanding that they're both wealth-building vehicles is important. In terms of how to help your partner see that both are a good option, that it's a both-and and not an either-or, I would go back to why your partner feels that way. Sometimes with real estate, it's anchored to a specific win a specific loss, or a specific money memory. So perhaps your partner or somebody in your partner's life or family had some wins in real estate, and so that's why they feel strongly about real estate. Or maybe somebody had a loss in stocks of, gosh, my parents were okay, and then 2008 hit, and they lost all of their retirement savings in the stock market, and so I'm steering clear. Or a money memory, some other sort of memory or learning that they had when they were younger that is the reason, sort of the basis for which they believe that real estate is better than stocks. There's truth to all of those, but it's not the whole truth. And so I think it's important to understand where your partner is coming from 
Sometimes there's a familiarity bias where your partner might just be really confident and comfortable investing in real estate and not that comfortable investing in the stock market because your partner doesn't understand the stock market or doesn't know how to put together a portfolio or is scared of making the wrong choices and just feels a lot more comfortable in the realist, on the real estate side. Um, so I think understanding that will help you unlock how to have the right conversation that will get you to where you need to go with your partner. The truth is they're both great places, right? They both grow over long periods of time. You can make mistakes in both places, right? You can make mistakes in the stock market and you can make mistakes investing in real estate as well. But over the long term, they can both be really great wealth building vehicles. So I think the idea of both is the right idea to get to. And I wonder if you were able to frame real estate as another way to invest towards retirement, that maybe it might be okay if your partner focuses on real estate investing and you partner on stock market investing. And that's how you diversify. That could actually serve your retirement purposes really well as a team. Just as a follow-up to that last suggestion, because that's kind of where my brain was going, I wonder, Connor, if your partner is leaving some valuable money in the form of matching contributions from an employer on the table by not saving for retirement and might suggest that if they are, you go down that road, point it out, and make sure they at least grab the matching dollars because that's free money, additional salary if it's available. But then, Natalie, my other question for you is if they do diversify by dividing and conquering, right? Connor invests in a traditional portfolio and his partner invests in real estate and something goes afoul in the relationship. Are they in trouble when it comes to dividing up the assets? Mm. I'm so glad you mentioned the employer match because you're absolutely right. Even if Connor's partner doesn't believe in investing in the stock market, if they have a 401k where they can get 50% or even 100% match on their dollars, that's a, a really hard thing to give up. So I, I'm so glad that you pointed that out. In terms of splitting up, it really depends state by state. So I'm hesitant to give strong recommendations here. I live in California, which is a community property state. And so generally, marital assets are split 50-50. But there are certainly exceptions to that. So it really depends state by state. You know, in California, if the properties were jointly owned, you would each get half of whatever it was worth. And you could run afoul on the real estate side. You could also run afoul on the stock market side. So without knowing more state-specific information, it's a little bit hard to give more detailed information. But I'd love to know what you think, Jean. I just think it's something to think about, right? Having been through a divorce... I know that sometimes one spouse, often the woman, particularly if there are children involved, will take the house and give away the pension, and that that is quite often a very bad decision. And so I just don't want to see, not that you're getting divorced, right? And I'm sure that you're in great shape, but it happens a lot. And so I don't want to see anybody setting their financial life up in a way that would make for an inequitable split down the road. We'll leave it there. And if it ever happens, the lawyers can work it out. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, let's go to this question from Mary. 
What are your thoughts on keeping score in a relationship financially? Ever since my boyfriend and I moved in together, I found myself unconsciously keeping track of who last paid for dinner or groceries or dates to make sure that we stay even. But I'm wondering if this is unhealthy. I make slightly more than him, but not by much. And we try to split things 50-50, either by Venmoing each other for half of whatever we're buying or trading off covering the bill at restaurants, for example. We don't share bank accounts. I think I sometimes get hyper-focused on making expenses equal and will get annoyed if I feel like I'm paying even $50 or $100 more in a given month, which isn't a huge amount for me in the grand scheme of things. My boyfriend has never given any indication that he wants to pay for less of the expenses, but I think he's just less hands-on with his budget and doesn't really notice if the scale tips one way or the other, whereas I do. I'd like to be more relaxed about this, but it's like the calculations are always in the back of my mind whenever we buy something together. I worry this is not a great foundation for thinking about finances as a couple, especially as we get more serious and possibly merge accounts in the future or make bigger purchases together. I'd love to get your insight. Mm. Mary, (laughs) keeping track and feeling like that tab is always running in the back of your mind does not feel good. So I think you're wise to sort of recognize that and try to figure out what can you do differently, perhaps. And one idea, you did mention that you've moved in together and you're not sharing accounts yet, but it sounds like you're planning on building a life together, thinking about merging finances as a couple as you get more serious. I wonder if there might be an opportunity to open a joint account and each contribute an equal amount into it, whether that's $500 a month or $1,000 a month or whatever it needs to be based on the scale of your joint expenses. So if you have rent, I think you mentioned dinner and groceries and dates, maybe some entertainment that's joint, that are clearly joint expenses that you two are doing together. I wonder if it might make sense to keep everything else separate, but open a joint checking account that you each contribute an equal amount into, and then you can each use that debit card when you're spending together or when you're paying your joint rent. And so that allows you to put your mind at ease in terms of the accounting, because as long as you're both putting the same amount into the account, then you know that the numbers are even. And as long as you're both committed to only using that for truly joint expenses, just like you are now, anything where you would have been Venmoing each other or you know, figuring it out, taking turns at restaurants, any of those moments, if you used your joint debit card, then it wouldn't matter who put down the card. You would know that that money was already evenly split because the contributions were even. That could be a good option to try. And I think relatively low risk At any time, a joint account, typically one person can take the money and run, right? But if we're talking about, you know, relatively small amounts of your budget that you're sharing, that might be a good next step for the two of you. Yeah, I really like that idea. And it's something that I've used in my own life as well. So I think it um, it's elegant. It's strangely a little more romantic, too, not having to worry about who's picking up the check each time. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, my husband and I, we have different accounts for different spending, and we write in Sharpie on the card what that card is for. So you could just write joint on it so that you both have real clarity when you're doing joint spending together that you're pulling out the card that says joint on it. 
And Monarch Money could be a great option for tracking the expenses together. You could just link that one joint account, and then you could each see what's happening, all of the transactions that are happening in that joint account, if that data happened to be helpful to you, because then you could really plan for how much do we need to be contributing, how much are we spending jointly as a team. Great idea. We have one more question before we go to it. Let's take one more quick break. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobir. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. And we are back. Okay, last question from Elizabeth. My husband and I are happy together, but have some very different money goals. He wants to buy land and eventually homestead a property. I'd like to get a master's degree and possibly plastic surgery. These are big goals that will cost several hundred thousand dollars each, and they could not be more different. The good news is that we've already agreed to save separately for these goals. Not a single dime of his earnings will pay for my choices, and not a single dime of mine will pay for his. While we support one another 100% in everything we do, he couldn't care less if I get a facelift and I don't really give a crap about his property since we already have a beautiful home. My question is, how should we save for these separate goals since most everything we have is combined? Right now, we have one joint checking account, one joint savings account, one joint retirement account, and we each have individual retirement accounts as well. I know some people often have multiple savings accounts set up with different goals, but I'm not sure if that's our best course of action. Would love your guidance on a way to do this that is seamless and automatic. And your advice as well on anything major I might be missing here. Here, Can I just say how much I love our listeners? I love that you just put it on out there. I love how honest you are about your financial lives. It enables people like Natalie and me to do our jobs that you tell us what all the issues are. And I don't know how often we get a chance to say that. So Thank you for sharing the detail because it is really, really important on this end. 
Absolutely. I love the candor and the authenticity. And I love how well it feels like Elizabeth knows herself and knows her husband and that they can at once support each other in everything they do and also have completely different goals. I just love that juxtaposition, that that can be the reality in their relationship. In terms of how to make progress on the different goals, Elizabeth, you mentioned using separate accounts. And I do think that using separate accounts for different goals is really helpful. So there's something called mental accounting, where which we mentally earmark money for different things, and that can work for us or against us. The way to make it work for you is to actually use separate accounts or buckets. Some banks will let you set up different buckets within a savings account and name them, put a nickname to them for what the money is for. And that can be really helpful because that helps you see exactly how many dollars you have available for your plastic surgery goal versus what he has available for his property goal. And it avoids the two of you thinking the same dollar is for each of your separate goals. So if it's in separate accounts that are nicknamed clearly, that allows you each to have real clarity on, nope, I'm not mentally accounting that these dollars are for me and he's mentally accounting that those dollars are for him. We both have real clarity because they're in different accounts with specific nicknames. If you do decide, you could own those accounts jointly or individually. Either way, but especially if you own them individually, and this goes for any other couples who have individual accounts, but if something happened, if I passed away, I would want to make sure that my husband still had access to the money in my individual savings account. It's important to add a transfer on death or payable on death to those accounts for your partner. And basically, that's just a beneficiary designation for non-retirement accounts. So that if something happens to me, my individual savings account can then be owned by my husband. So that's an important thing if you are going to own any accounts individually to make sure that you've planned for what happens if I pass away, what happens to these dollars, who owns them. It might be your partner and then your kids if something happens to your partner. But it's important to be mindful of that. And then you asked a question about making it seamless and automatic. I think setting up the accounts will take a little bit of work. If you can do them all at the same banking institution, that'll make it even easier. Online banks tend to make it easier to have multiple savings accounts with no minimums and no fees. So that might be a good option to use an online bank and to do it all in one place. And then you can set up automatic contributions either directly from your paycheck or from whatever checking account receives your income every paycheck. A couple other things you said I think you asked anything major that you might be missing. I would say it's important to make sure that you and your husband are on the same page in terms of where these individual goals fall in terms of priority with other joint goals. So other joint goals might be making sure that you have a solid emergency fund and that you pay off debt, especially high interest debt, and that you're saving for retirement. I would say it's really important to make sure that you're both clear on where you stand on those goals and what progress you're continuing and committing to make on those goals, and then fitting your individual goals into the context of that broader goal framework. Because if you think, oh, these dollars are our emergency fund, we would never spend that on a property or on plastic surgery or on a master's degree. But he thinks, oh, well, those dollars could be used, that that could really create an issue. So I think understanding the context of your individual goals or the priority of your individual goals within the context of your broader financial goals is really important. Amazing, Natalie. Such great advice all show. Thank you so much for for doing this with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so fun. 
And to all of you listening, thank you for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks so much to Natalie Taylor for all of her insight on all things couples and money. It is clear that having more visibility into one another's money goals is an important step on the path to success. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided Provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.